we can all see what's going on right now. We all understand the importance of the US dollar is now being challenged in the world. The place of the US dollar, the primacy of the US dollar, it's all being challenged. Everything is coming to a head. And this Russia-Ukraine crisis, we know what it's gonna to lead to. A fragile state for the US dollar. The printing, the spending, the catastrophes here at home, the inflation. The real pandemic throughout all of this is Biden inflation and it's only getting worse. And that is why I recommend that you diversify with gold and silver now. There is still time. And the only company that I recommend is Allegiance Gold. My friends at Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or have it delivered securely right to your door. They will educate you on the benefits of physical gold because they care and they want to build a long-term relationship. Allegiance Gold has the highest rating from third-party consumer protection agencies five stars with TrustLink. They are AAA rated with the Better Consumer Bureau and have a AAA rating from the Better Business Bureau. Get $500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase when you tell them that Pozo sent you. So don't wait, call or click today. Go to allegiancegold.com slash Pozo. We cannot control the Biden administration. We cannot control the world, but we can prepare for what happens. Allegiancegold.com slash Pozo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today's top stories, the Russian invasion of Ukraine continues as Russia has taken the strategic city of Kherson in southern Ukraine while their advance continues in the north. Next, a reaction to the feckless State of the Union delivered by President Biden, low energy and quite frankly, ridiculous. Next, the January 6th committee has subpoenaed a new list of lawyers and activists while they think nobody is looking. And then finally, President Biden, Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson. We're gonna dig into her a little bit. All this and more ahead, Team Events Daily. Well, the Russian advance in the invasion of Ukraine continues, and we are now getting reports that as early of this morning that the strategic Ukrainian city of Kherson, located in southern Ukraine, has fallen to Russia. Now, this is a strategic city for them because this is really that city that connects the Dnieper River with the Black Sea on the south, right just north of Crimea. And this is from the Russian southern advance out of Crimea into that strategic area, that azimuth around that southern delta of the Dnieper River. All the way up in the north of the Dnieper River is what, of course, is Kiev. That will be the scene of potentially the final encirclement and the final battle of all of this. Whether or not Kiev is going to capitulate is really the story right now. And a lot of that, the question there remains on President Zelensky of Ukraine and of course, President Putin of Russia. Will they come to an agreement? Will there be peace? Or are they looking for a full on capitulation in this scenario? Well, President Zelensky sat down with CNN for an interview just yesterday. We've got a little clip of it to play for you. you everybody has to stop, stop fighting and to go to that point from where it, it was beginning. Yeah. Yes, it began five, six, today six, six days ago. Yes. I think th there are principal things you can do it, and that is very important moment. If you do this, and if those side is ready, it means that they are ready for the peace. So you see there's Zelensky, of course, 
is doing everything he can to rally Western support behind his cause and rally support for Ukraine and for the Ukrainian people. And of course, our hearts go out to the Ukrainian people that are caught in the middle of all of this. But we've heard, of course, as well from Prime Minister Boris Johnson, as well as from the White House here in the United States, that it does not appear that NATO is going to be getting involved in this from a military perspective. And of course, that's exactly what Putin calculated. So the Russian leaders, and keep in mind that Russia has an authority structure, they have a command structure, they have a Kremlin, they have an entire establishment, the same way the United States does. Um, obviously, they have different forms of it. Um, their forms of power are very much more top-down, where ours are more amorphous, but they certainly don't just have one person who's making all these decisions. If Vladimir Putin didn't have the support of that establishment in making this move, Russia never would have conducted this invasion. So this really is something where the strategists, the security oligarchs, the leaders of the military, the generals decided to look at this. And from a security and economic perspective, they, they're basically looking at it from a perspective of saying, look, we don't want these foreign wars, these foreign militaries to come onto Ukraine's forces. We want that buffer state. And we believe that because we have such a stranglehold on natural resources that are of strategic interest to Western Europe, namely oil, natural gas, as well, by the way, of having a massive stockpile of gold in Russia, they knew that there would be sanctions. They knew that all of this would take place. But they're banking on the fact that, number one, while the sanctions are able to hurt in the near term, that in the long term, Western Europe is going to need those resources. And Gazprom just yesterday, if you, I saw an article on Zero Hedge, they were offering gas for $15 a barrel to anybody who wanted it, just $15 a barrel. So eventually you're going to have people around the world as gas prices go up, as oil prices go up, they're gonna come around and say, you know what? At the end of the day, we need this. And it doesn't matter where it comes from because we need this for our country and we can't afford to get it any other way. They ran the tables on this. We talked yesterday about how it was the Russians who were funding the anti-fracking movement here in the United States. They were the ones who were behind, behind that. Why? And Fiona Hill said it herself. They were behind this because they saw it in Russia that as a threat. They saw fracking as a threat. They saw U.S. natural gas as a threat. They did everything they could to stop that and to fight it. And I remember that we used to have people <laughs> uh, in the White House, there used to be a guy in there who said that he wanted to expand fracking in the United States, that he wanted to go into the Permian Basin and the Marcellus Shale, that he wanted to go up to Anwar, they wanted to go uh, you know, over the coast, he wanted to go everywhere. But instead we didn't do that because we're foolish and because we were reckless. And instead we drove China and Russia together, which will still, I still keep saying this, this will become to lo be looked at in the annals of history as one of the most foolish foreign policy blunders in United States history, that we drove Russia and China together by choice. We didn't have to do that. Could have played them against each other because we're stupid and we don't have the self-awareness to step outside of ourselves and realize, by the way, that Russia isn't going for a blitzkrieg. They're not going for asymmetric warfare. This is a slow envelopment operation and it is going to keep continuing as President Biden even said last night at the State of the Union, until Kiev itself is completely surrounded. And our troops in Iraq have faced, in Afghanistan, have faced many dangers. One being stationed at bases, breathing in toxic smoke from burn pits. And they come home. Many of the world's fittest and best trained warriors in the world. Never the same. Headaches, numbness, dizziness. 
a cancer that would put them in a flag draped coffin. I know. To our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forged the deep bond that connects our two nations, we stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. So those are just a couple of the highlights or lowlights, I guess, of the State of the Union from last night delivered by President Biden, talking about the Uranians, Iranians, nobody can understand what he's saying, Representative Boebert, that I would like to thank for bringing up Afghanistan, bringing that up because the 13 honored dead of Kabul airport in the botched pullout, I guess, operation, whatever you want to call that, it wasn't really much of an operation that was conducted by the Biden administration. You got those 13 killed. He didn't even mention Afghanistan, didn't even have a moment of silence. He didn't have their families there. And we know why. We know why he didn't have the families of Afghanistan. He wants you to forget about it. He wants you to completely forget what he did to America on the world stage. And he wants to make you forget about the families of those fallen 13 that didn't have to die because they shouldn't have been there in the first place. And he's going to wave his hands and act like it didn't matter. The same way, by the way, that he's standing back after for years, for years of saying, I stand with Ukraine. The United States stands with Ukraine. The United States will be there for Ukraine. We're going to bring you into NATO and we're going to give you all this money. And all you have to do is just, you know, say that you're with us. And yeah, maybe maybe give my son a couple of million dollars working for one of your uh, working for one of your oligarchs. It's no big deal. But then when the Russians come and the Russians decide that they've had enough of all this and they come around, what does Biden do? He's got a hashtag. He's going to wear a lapel pin. And you got all these politicians. I saw this as well. All the politicians, they're wearing lapel pins. Where are the people who are calling for leadership? Show me some actual leadership, not just for uh, the people of Ukraine, but the people of the United States as well. Where was any point of that speech that President Biden felt like, and it certainly didn't feel like to me, that he was the leader of the free world. He didn't feel like he was the leader of anything. He seemed like a guy who's been completely in over his head. He's been overcome by events. And now those events are coming back to bite him. So Afghanistan doesn't mention it. Ukraine, sure, it's talk, 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 rhetoric, 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 but no solutions. No solutions at all to bring peace. No solutions at all to end the fighting. No solutions at all that would actually work other than we stand with you. Stand with what? Are you going to end the fighting or and end the people who are dying, the families that are being blown up, the people, the hundreds and thousands of people that are trying to escape to Poland? And God bless Poland for doing that, by the way, taking in the refugees, giving them food, giving toys to the children. Biden couldn't care less. You know, another thing that I didn't even hear mentioned, I mean, he may have said the word once, but I certainly didn't hear any any interest from him to talk about China or the CCP. The Olympics are just held. Xi Jinping is, by the way, about to be coronated as chairman for life, dictator for life in China. You hear anything about that from the State of the Union? Did you hear any mention of it? Nothing. Not a peep. And we understand, of course, that China is underwriting Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
right? Maybe not directly funding it, but they're essentially underwriting it because they are the financial backstop. When Russia gets kicked out of the Western system, they're going to hook in to the One Belt, One Road system. Does Biden have any plan to actually deal with that? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Bought and sold. Completely. You're seeing an administration that's not only completely feckless, they're completely corrupt. And you're seeing an angry old man in an angry old suit yell at the world, yell at everybody, and tell you that it's your fault. Then we've got inflation. Any plan to deal with the inflation here in the United States that's actually affecting working Americans and families? Nothing. No sense whatsoever what he's going to do with that. He says the government's going to spend more. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have that much of an economics background, but I do understand a little thing called supply and demand. And we don't have a demand issue. We have a supply issue. So if the government starts spending more and the government starts printing more so they continue to spend more, then you're going to increase demand. If you increase demand without increasing supply, what do you get? You get higher prices and that leads to more inflation. The same way the printing more money leads to more inflation. More dollars chasing fewer scarce goods. Again, very simple, basic, like economics 101, supply and demand. But he doesn't understand that because he doesn't understand how to do math. Pretty much, I don't think anyone in Washington, D.C. actually understands math. This is a city of, of, of poets and, and writers and, and romanticists, right? They, they believe in these, um, these notions that are just completely antithetical to reality. And so they get wrapped up in that. And unfortunately, they put our tax dollars into it as well. This is ridiculous. And now we are in a state of disunion. Well, folks, if you want to continue to support Human Events Daily, the best way to do that, of course, is MyPillow.com. Use promo code POSA. You go to MyPillow.com slash POSA. We've got the launch page up where we're working with MyPillow. So we've got updated deals on there. you got the towels. you got the sheets. you got the pillows. you got everything you need. Now, winter is still ending, and that means you can start moving into the spring, spring cleaning. Get rid of your old pillows. Get rid of your old sleep system. Think about it. You spend up to, you're supposed to spend, spend eight hours a day in bed. Now, I know, especially if you're in DC like me, you're not spending a full eight hours, and especially if you've got little kids like I do, but you were spending a lot of time in that bed. And if you were spending all that time in your bed, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your health. Go ahead, upgrade your entire system. Make sure that you look at this thing and say, you know what, I could use a mattress topper. You know what, I could use new sheets. I could use a new pillow. You're gonna support yourself, you're gonna support your sleep, you'll support your health. Mypillow.com slash POSO. So we've been talking about things that take place overseas a lot lately. We've been talking about things that take place thousands of miles away in the Eurasian steppe, the killing fields of the borderlands between Ukraine and Russia. It's always, but the word Ukraine itself means borderlands. I don't know if you know that. Granitsa is border. So Ugranitsa, Ukraine, at the border or the borderlands. That's what it literally means. If you're speaking uh, Russian, Ukrainian, Slavic, etc., in the Slavic root languages, that is what that phrase means. So when you're saying there's a war in Ukraine, you're saying there's a war in the borderlands. But we're not talking about that. We're going to talk about something that's happening right here at home, right in the city of Washington, D.C., where I'm in, the regime-occupied national capital region, where you have this group of people called the January 6th Committee. And what's the point of the January 6th Committee? Well, the point of the January 6th Committee is to demonize and weaponize the federal government and the power of the U.S. Congress against the political opposition of the regime. And they think that because there's so much going on overseas, because that's completely gone to chaos, 
And there's so much happening here at home domestically, because this has all gone to chaos as well, by the way, the inflation, the unemployment, all of those things, all of those problems that existed prior to this, the lockdowns, the mandates, those all still exist, by the way. The trucker convoy, you remember them? Right, that all happened right across the Great Lakes. That wasn't thousands and thousands of miles away. And we saw the crackdown of Justin Trudeau and his thugs on those peaceful truckers. Well, what's the January 6th committee doing now? The January 6th committee has now issued new subpoenas to what they say are six witnesses. And this is from Newsweek. The committee on Tuesday issued six letters to witnesses demanding documents and testimony for what it described as their role seeking to overturn the election in the lead up to, of course, the insurrection. They just claimed it was insurrection. Since being formed last year, the committee has turned its attention in recent months to how efforts by Trump and his inner circle stay, tried to stay in power, allegedly played into the attack. But here's what's interesting. The witnesses that they're subpoenaing are lawyers. Kurt Olson, Cleta Mitchell, Kenneth Chesbrough, Philip Klein, Christina Bob, Catherine Fries. They What did they do? They drafted executive orders. They lobbied state legislators. They filed legal briefs. They conducted legal activity, all right? Filing a legal challenge is the definition of what you are allowed to do in a free and open society as a free citizen. You are allowed to sue. You are allowed to petition your government for a redress of grievances, right? This is in our founding documents. This is what our entire system is supposed to be all about. We want to have elections to decide Who's in control? We, and if you look, if you've been following me for long enough, you know that I don't necessarily believe that it's the politicians who are in control in this country. But but follow me through, and just in terms of argument here, that if you're following filing a legal petition, you're not breaking the law. You're saying that we want there to be a fair and open process in that election. That we want fairness. We don't want it to be lopsided. We don't want the referees to be bought off. We don't want them to be making calls for one side or the other. We want them to call balls and strikes. We want the same set of rules for everybody. And we want it to be an even playing field. And if you go and talk to most Americans, you'll find that that's exactly what they want when it comes to elections, when it comes to sports, when it comes to everything. They want an even playing field. And Americans love, love, by the way, competition. So this country's founded on. We love it competition in the marketplace. We want competition in elections. We want competition in sports. But it's when you try to change those things, when you try to change those rules, that leads you to fight back. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that you have a regime that's trying to go after their own political opposition. And it's not happening in Russia or Moscow. It's happening in Washington, D.C. Well, another story that is actually going on right now, another narrative that you're not hearing a lot about in Washington, D.C., is that of President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, someone who is now coming from the D.C. Circuit and has been nominated for the Supreme Court of the United States. And because there's so much chaos that's going on abroad and so much chaos going on at home, they are trying to slip this in. Now, keep in mind, they do have the votes, all right? They've got 50 votes in the U.S. Senate, they do not need any Republicans to go along with this, but that doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a vetting of this candidate, the same way there should be a vetting of everyone for every government position or position of authority in this country, because the American people deserve that. 
Now we know this isn't going to change the makeup of the bench in terms of liberal versus conservative, but we do want to know who is going to be appointed to the highest court in our land. And we've got an interesting story that we've dug up from one of the old rulings that she made years ago. This is from the Post Millennial. Biden's Supreme Court nominee once argued that the judicial system is, quote, unfair to sexual predators, even in the face of understandable public outrage over repeat sexual predators, a principled prevention slash punishment analysis evaluates the effect of the challenged legislation in a manner that reinforces constitutional safeguards against unfair and unnecessarily burdensome legislative action. Excuse me? What are you talking about unfair to the convicted sexual predators? They repeat sexual predators. Now, she doesn't mention here whether she's talking about uh, specifically child sex predators, but she is talking about sex predators in general. And so my question is, and she's talking about, by the way, of that label of sex offender that does get uh, filed publicly and that you do have to publicly state if you're, you know, you're moving somewhere, you can go on these lists and people can look up who are the sexual predators in your area, who are the sexual offenders. And so if you're someone like me, who has two little children, two little boys, I'd like to know. And so, yeah, we do use those lists and we do check to make sure where every single one in our area is. You know why? Because I'm a good father, because I care about my kids, because that's what every parent should be doing. When I hear things like this, coming from someone who wants to be a Supreme Court justice, I have to step back for a second and say, wait a minute, are you caring about the victims or are you caring about the predators here? And go take a listen, we've got a little clip uh, where she's explaining kind of her philosophy. I've been a federal judge for eight years, and I have a duty of independence. I clerked for three federal judges before I became a judge, and they were models of judicial independence. And what that has meant is that I know very well what my obligations are, what my duties are, not to rule with partisan advantage in mind. So again, you've got a situation where someone's coming in this, looking at it from a philosophy of reforming. We're gonna reform the system. We're gonna reform the law. We're gonna reform all that. And reform is fine, reform is good. But keep in mind, sometimes we have laws in the books for a reason. That's because laws work. And sometimes we have them because that's what the citizens of that community want. They want to know who a sexual offender is. They want to know someone, who, especially, who's been a repeat sexual offender. But in this case, it seems like she cares more about the sex offender than she does about the victims. And that's all the time we have today for Human Events Daily. Remember, this is our solemn oath, our promise, our vow to all of you to be good, be brief, be gone. This is your hardest hitting, action packed and quickest analysis of the day's events, plus takes that you're not going to be getting anywhere else in the mainstream media. Find one of your normie friends and share this with them. By the way, also leave us your five star review. I've been reading the reviews lately. They're fantastic. I appreciate you so much for sending them in. Before we go, though, Today's history break, not just history break, but also a little explanation. You might be sitting there out there wondering if you're watching on the video side, uh, you're saying, why does Jack have that, you know, black mark? It looks like a cross kind of thing on his forehead. Well, that's because for many Christians today, today is Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday begins the 40 days period of Lent 
prior to Easter Sunday. So this is 40 days prior to that where we're preparing for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And usually we give up something. This year, I'm giving up soda for all 40 days of Lent. No soda, not doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission, lay ashore.